0: by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another or as a familiar hymn puts it they'll know we are christians by our love but i wonder does this really happen i'll admit that people don't often come up to me and say you know you are just so loving you must be a christian And I realize the irony that I'm standing up here and you're there, and perhaps this happens more to you than it does for me, but I bet it doesn't happen as much as we hope, even when we're at our best. And sometimes we're not at our best. Sometimes we're at our worst. And perhaps we're doing something that is even unloving, maybe even gasp while wearing one of those little, what would Jesus do bracelets? Does anyone remember those from the 90s, the little WWJD bracelets? Well, lest, lest I offend anyone, the two people I know who wear them, one is a former Georgetown linebacker and one is a former pro running back, so I, I won't offend anyone who, could, uh, who would easily toss me aside. And while I don't think that they are the most helpful things for Christians at all times, I do think the sentiment is helpful. What would Jesus do? In other words, how would he love If he were in our situation, how can we as Christians show the kind of love that's so significant that people think that God must have something to do with it? What is this kind of love? Our passage in John 13 tells us, he says in verse two, it says that Jesus, having loved his own who were in the world, loved them to the end. Another translation says that he showed them the full extent of his love. And he shows us this love so that we can know it for ourselves, that Jesus shows it to us, and so that we can show it to others. Whereas one said, the gospel is a life to be lived and not just an ideal to be contemplated. Know it and show it. And Jesus has been showing it. If you're familiar with the Gospel of John, the first 12 chapters are accounts of the signs and wonders of Jesus working among the people. And here at the beginning of chapter 13, we have a transition from Jesus' public ministry to his private words, his farewell discourse to those who have followed him. He answers this question, what is this kind of love for the disciples? Our reading shows us that the full extent of Jesus' love is shown to those who are low on the list by actions— that might be low on our list and with the priority of the one who should be at the top of our list. So let's look at those three things and what they show us about the full extent of Jesus's love. First, that this is a love that is shown to people who might be low on our list. In other words, those who might be hard to love or even our enemies. This is the love that Jesus shows in our passage. Now you are familiar probably with the stories of Holy Week you know how the story ends. You know that Judas will betray Jesus. And yet here he is at the last intimate meal of Jesus' disciples, WWJD. What would I do if I was in Jesus' situation? I probably wouldn't have invited Judas. He wouldn't have gotten the Evite. That probably means he wouldn't have been pestered by my emails. But I wouldn't have included them. And yet here Jesus is, including the one who is going to betray him. Jesus is about to wash his feet. Jesus is going to even serve him a piece of bread as they're reclined at the table together. You might remember what the disciples had been arguing about prior to this meal. They were arguing about who would sit at the right and the left hand of Jesus, who was going to be important in Jesus' kingdom. And the details of our gospel account which later tells us that Jesus dipped bread and shared it with Judas, tell us that he was likely sitting at his left hand. That in fact, he was close enough that as they were reclining at the table, his head was likely on Jesus' breast. This was the man who, when he betrayed Jesus, Jesus would call him friend. German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes that human love by its very nature is a desire for human community, but where we can no longer expect to find that desire fulfilled, it comes up short. So, in the face of an enemy, we don't find our need for community met, and so we stop loving. But he writes, spiritual love, on the other hand, doesn't desire to have a need met, but serves it loves an enemy as a brother, and this love originates not in ourself, but in Christ, in his word, and recognizes that in this other person is the image of God received from Christ. There's a story from the American Revolution of a pastor from Pennsylvania whose name is Peter Miller. He was friends with George Washington, and in his small town, he had a nemesis, This nemesis was Michael Whitman, who did all that he could to oppose and humiliate and be a thorn in the side of poor little pastor Peter Miller. Now, one day, Michael Whitman was arrested for treason and sentenced to death. And this pastor traveled 70 miles on foot to his friend George Washington to plead for Whitman's life. General Washington calmly said, as is recorded, no, Peter, I cannot grant you the life of your friend. My friend, he exclaimed, this man is the bitterest enemy I have. What? cried Washington. You've walked seventy miles to save the life of an enemy? That puts it in a different light. I'll grant your pardon. And so Miller returned to the small town in Pennsylvania with Whitman. No longer enemies, but friends. A love so striking that it changed the trajectory of Whitman's life? See, loving those who are near and dear to us isn't hard, and usually those folks love us back. Slightly harder might be to show love to those who are strangers or those that we don't know who may not love us back, but harder still is showing love to one who's an enemy. So I ask, who are those who might be low on your list. Maybe those who don't love you back, maybe those who are hard to love, maybe even those you might consider an enemy. The love of Christ, the full extent of his love, is shown even to enemies, to those who are low on the list, and that's good news for sinners like you and me because we find ourselves low on the list. Secondly, we see that the full extent of Jesus' love is shown by actions which are low on the list, by acts of humble, sometimes menial, service. We often think, when we think of love, of hallmark cards, of romantic feelings, grand gestures, sentimental love. But Jesus is clearly talking about more than a feeling. He's talking about humble service that includes sacrifice, love, love, That is the kind that Bonhoeffer described that doesn't seek to have a need met, but seeks to serve another. It's often expressed in these acts of service, these menial, simple tasks that are at the bottom of the list, rather than grand gestures. And in our reading from John, we have Jesus giving his disciples a lived-out parable as he washes their feet. Now, foot washing wasn't shocking in Middle Eastern culture as it might be for us. It was actually quite common in a world where you're often wearing sandals, traveling dusty, dirty roads where all manner of unmentionable stuff might stick to your feet. Foot washing was necessary, but it was done by those who were in the role of a servant. It was despised by Jews and Greek alike in a world where humility was considered to be weakness. It certainly would have been seen as lowly and inappropriate for a Jewish rabbi to put a towel around his waist and a stoop to serve. Philippians 2, which was the subject of the sermon reflection this past Sunday, says that Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant, being found in human likeness. See, God takes on flesh in the incarnation, takes on human likeness, and here we have a stunning example of Jesus stooping again in human likeness to meet a very human, practical, tangible need. Those who may have had the experience of bathing an aging relative know this humbling, awkward, intimate service. But Jesus wasn't just commanding us to wash each other's feet. Now this is a part oftentimes of Monday Thursday services that there will be a foot washing, but Jesus' command is actually much more broad. It's that we're to seek ways in which we would show that same kind of humble service. Or as N T Wright, a biblical scholar says, Jesus gives us a pattern so that we can do things in the same way. We receive and then we do. We know it and then we show it. Whereas verse 17 says, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. So I ask what type of service might you offer? What humble service might you offer to a neighbor, to one who hasn't shown you love? It's likely that you are familiar with the movie Chariots of Fire or Uh, the character of Eric Liddell, world champion Scottish runner uh, who won gold medal at the 1924 Olympics. You may know the famous, uh, perhaps ill-quoted line, God made me fast and when I run, I feel his pleasure. You might realize that Christian conviction shaped his life and that he actually was favored to win the 100-meter event, but it happened on the Sabbath, and so he declined running and instead left the Games competing in a single event, the 400 meters, which he did win. You might not know that shortly after winning the Olympic medal as a young man just 22 years old, he gave up his success and left for China as a missionary. He said simply, God made me for China. His story and that of others is recorded in the book Shantung Compound, it's a story of when Liddell and 2,000 other men, women, and children were rounded up and placed in an internment camp, a prison camp of sorts. And as you might expect, this internment camp had pretty deplorable conditions. It was one where the plumbing in the bathrooms had not been even connected to the toilets, and so you can imagine the overflow that resulted. And in that scenario, the writer of this book recalls, who is, he was a member of this internment camp, he recalls that it was the Catholic priests and nuns and this small group of Protestant missionaries like Eric who wrapped cloth around their noses and their mouths, they borrowed boots, and they waded into the muck. Certainly the lowest of tasks and not at the top of the list of what any of them hoped to do. What's the our willingness to extend ourselves in humble service. I think about my own reticence to do really any household chore other than clean the bathroom. I'll unload the dishwasher all day long, and that's convicting. I'll do the things which are easy, the things that result in order and a nice tidy house, but the things that are dirty and perhaps a little menial are harder. But it's not just the physical dirty work that Jesus is calling us to. See, when Liddell was in that compound, he saw that there was a problem with all of these uh, young people, mostly between the age of 11 and 15, who were essentially unsupervised while their parents were serving in these, in these harsh labor conditions. And they were causing all sorts of problems, and many of them didn't have parents watching over them. And so he started a bit of a, a club where they would have entertainment, and they would play games, and he would teach. For him, he offered his life and served out of obedience to God in whatever way presented itself, both the menial, the dirty, and also the very relational. I think we can learn from this. The, the third point that I want to reflect on is that the extent of Jesus' love should be out of respect for the one who is at the top of our list the one who we should give our priority to, to God. That is, we should show love in humble service out of obedience for God, submitting to him and allowing his love to work through us. Instead of love being given with something expected in return, we love so that the glory goes to God. We humble ourselves as Jesus did we love God and we love others, as the commandments of the law are summarized, and so God is glorified in us. This is a theme that Christian writers have, I think, wrestled with and tried to capture over the centuries. Thomas a. Kempis, in a book called Imitation of Christ, wrote, humility before men will be the only sufficient proof that our humility before God is real. Andrew Murray, another theologian, wrote, "'Nothing is more beautiful than to be nothing, "'so that God may be all.'" This is a good reminder for the disciples who are constantly arguing over who would be greatest. And it's a good reminder for us. It's said that John, the writer of the gospel that we read this evening, was known in the ancient church for constantly telling people in his old age, Little children love one another. And I can't help but think that in his old age that some of those words that he wanted to have a lasting impression on the early church were the same words that he knew that Jesus had shared with the disciples. When he was asked why he kept saying this, he said, it's the Lord's command, and if this alone be done, it's enough. If we were to love one another. If we were to love those who were hard to love with the love of Christ, it would be enough. And indeed, even non-Christian historians will tell you that there was something unique about the early Christian community. One even writes that this love was the strongest cause for the spread of Christianity. The earlier followers of Jesus were motivated by the full extent that Jesus had shown. And the motivating force was obedience to God. You likely know the figure of Martin Luther, a German monk. You may not know that in the 1520s, long after much of the plague had wreaked havoc on Europe, an outbreak came to Wittenberg in Germany where he lived. And Luther, like many, had a decision, will I stay or will I go? And Luther opted to stay. In fact, he opened his house as a hospice care center where those who had the painful boils of the plague would come, receive care. He opened his house to be a place of screams, of pain. And he put himself at significant risk. There's an old adage that hurt people hurt people. And I think that the opposite is true for Christians and was certainly true for Martin Luther. Loved people love people. Those who are loved by God receive that love and in obedience love others. I want us to consider, is there a place where you might be called to love? Is there somebody that God may have in your life that he wants you to show love to for his sake? Remember the question that we began with. What is this love that we're to show to others? Well, our passage gives us a picture of Jesus showing this limitless love to those who are low on the list, by doing things which are low on our lists, all so we can give glory to the one who should be at the top of the list. So let's seek to imitate Jesus, to receive this love that he gives to the disciples and desires to show to us, And let's praise him that the story doesn't end here. That as Jesus spoke of the full extent of love, the story continues beyond this last supper. We see Jesus in the events of the Holy Week loving those low on his list, loving those who were loveless, loving to the end. And he shows us who are low in sin that same love. We see him humbling himself, offering himself in humble service, receiving abuse, all so that his lowly suffering might serve us in our sin. And as Philippians 2 reminds us, we see Jesus becoming obedient, even to death. But that is a story for tomorrow. Join with me in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you that you showed love to those who were hard to love, that we might know your love, knowing that we are sometimes hard to love, and we might show your love to those who may also be hard to love. We praise you for this vivid illustration and for this lived out life of love. In Jesus' name. Amen.